as you know, we've been having some uh, short uh, uh, lessons about marriage. And so uh, today it falls for Barbara and I to share our lessons about marriage today. So we're just going to do that very quickly. <laughs> At the heart of the Christian faith is the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to know and love Christ. What is this relationship like? It's a relationship of the closest possible intimacy. It is like that of a parent and child. But Paul goes even further in terms of intimacy. He refers to Christ as the husband and the church as his bride, Corinthians 11.2. This is the closest, most important and most intimate relationship of all. I have not been an ideal husband all my life. That may come as a surprise to some. <laughs> Throughout our 38 years, many times preoccupied with myself and my career and not sufficiently serving Barbara nor the children. I was reflecting, actually, I used to spend most of my time outside the home serving others and then when I got home, expected to, to change. <laughs> but the lesson I've learned that I'm to love Barb as Christ loves the church. So I want the very best for her, not just material provision, but for her to prosper in her spirit, in her career as a mother and now grandmother. And as a friend, I want her to feel secure in the love of Christ, that as I, her trusted partner, demonstrate daily. As I said, my actions haven't always supported that vision, so I've had to change progressively and I'm still improving. The good things I want to do, I don't always do. That which I don't want to do, I have the tendency to do. But I'm called to focus on her needs. I've learned that I'm being a better husband when I see Barbara more at peace, edified, secure, becoming all that God has called and purposed her to be. It's not about my needs. God's grace is sufficient for me. This flows from a word uh, God gave me uh, personally many years ago when I was at a men's camp. And it was, a, it was a time for that season. When you fix men's issues, you fix the whole problem in relationships. That was a personal message for me. <laughs> and I just want to say, intimate relationships will require faithfulness. It says in Proverbs twenty-two twelve, the Lord frustrates the words of the unfaithful. Adultery can break the faithfulness of a marriage and it's therefore a deep pit. Whoever loves a pure heart and whose speech, speech is gracious will have the king for a friend. Amazingly, I'm invited to be friends of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Friendship itself requires effort. I have to keep choosing to show love and faithfulness in my marriage to maintain an intimate relationship with the friend and the wife God has given me. And when I read that, I went, wow, that's intense. <laughs> I'm going to talk about shiny things. <laughs> I'm not, actually. Um, I'll be very quick. Um, for me, marriage is about... Oh, hang on, I've got glasses. <laughs> um, for me, marriage is about fun and laughing together. 45 years romance ooh, means respecting one another and doing life in partnership. Partnering our children in full agreement, um, nurturing them in the ways of God, praying with them daily, now praying for them daily. Oh, I'm getting sad now thinking about my children. <laughs> I can't see them all the time. Um, now, uh, marriage for us has been developing a deeper understanding of each other, making compromises and allowances, but loving who we are as one, not individually. 
committing ourselves and our marriage to a life of ministry, serving God, serving each other and our family and serving others. In all these years, as a strong, independent woman, have never thought I could or would do life on my own. We are better together. We are in this together. Very topical. Great joy, incredible grief, but always thankful that what we have established in him since we were children pushes us through any obstacle. Do I get frustrated? Yes. Uh, do I lose it sometimes? Um, yes. <laughs> do I ever stop loving Steve? No. In Mark 12:30 it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. God is my strength. In him alone do I put my trust. And it's great to have a life partner to share it with. Johan, would you find me a different uh, deal? That one's, that's the bad one. That's the trick one. That's going to mess me up. Thank you, guys. I hope you're finding this helpful. If you've been married for a long time, or if you're not about to, if you're about to be married, or if you hope to someday, take good notes. Don't have to wait 38 years to learn some of these things. A uh, couple of, of announcements while we're doing this is that uh, Wednesday, this Wednesday is our uh, prayer time together, and so we will uh, be meeting here at 7, and our leadership meeting is directly <laughs> after that. For those of you who are part of that team, uh, you would already know that, but I'm reminding you because some of you don't write things in your calendar. Amazing. And then I had one other announcement. Oh, if you're uh, interested in what we do as a church and, and uh, how we function, we have a uh, added to the church time where you can ask questions. We're gonna do that on the 18th, Sunday the 18th at three o'clock. That's at Marion, my house. Uh, and if you're interested, we will let you know where that is. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. Some of you are wondering why we had these drum set here and no drummer. This is a prophetic picture. It's an invitation to partner if you play drums. We just don't, uh, don't have enough drummers. I guess that no one has enough drummers. Anywhere in the world, there aren't enough drummers. I'm sorry. Luke 22. I want to talk about uh, communion, remembering the new covenant today. Uh, Luke 22 from verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down uh, and the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With intense desire is what it says. Lord, we have an intense desire for you. Even as you had a desire to eat that Passover and all that it entailed, we have a desire for you. We have a desire for your spirit to uh, minister to us, to 
Speak to us. We open our hearts to you. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for your presence here this morning, even as we've worshiped. Now, bless us with revelation as we look at your word. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. If we look at that closely, we see two things. That Passover was fulfilling the, the, uh, what all the Passover intended. It was the fulfillment of that. But it was also something else. It was the instituting of a new covenant. Pardon me. The new covenant couldn't be instituted until the old was fulfilled. So let's just talk about that for a moment. Passover, commemorate, it was a commemoration and a prophetic picture. Most of you who know Passover, it was a looking back to when the uh, children of Israel came out of Egypt, all the plagues that happened, and then they were directed to uh, sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over their homes and that had such an impact on the Egyptians that they set them free. But it was a commemoration of that passing over but it was also tied into atonement. It was a looking forward to when the perfect lamb would come and take away the sin of the world. And so both of those things were happening. So they were acknowledging what had happened in the past, but they were also looking forward to what would happen. That atonement, that looking forward, was presented in the uh, Old Testament with this idea of two goats. One was the scapegoat and one was the sacrifice for the covenant. And so once a year, they would come and they would pray and they would put the sins of the people on the one goat and he would then be taken out into the darkness and then the other goat was sacrificed as a sign of the covenant that they have with God. What we need to understand is that Jesus became both. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the very righteous of God. He took our sin upon himself. He was the scapegoat. He didn't just say, I'm gonna pretend you don't have sin. He actually removes it. That's an amazing thing. But at the same time, he became the sacrifice for a new covenant. And that's what he said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So he became the sacrifice. The old covenant 
was concerned with righteousness. It was concerned with honoring a, a holy God and recognizing that sin made a separation. So it was about taking care of that sin problem, dealing with the sin problem because sin makes a separation. This was complete in Jesus. When he said it is finished on the cross, he wasn't just talking about his life. He was talking about fulfilling everything that this had been looking forward to for thousands of years. It's done. Hebrews chapter 9, sorry, chapter 8, verse 13. You ever wonder how you, say, you look at something and something else comes out? I knew that was an 8. Verse 13 says, in this he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now that which is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. In chapter 10 and verse 9, says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By fulfilling the old covenant, he paved the way for a new covenant to be established. By fulfilling the, the requirement, the, the need to have sin removed. Why do we need sin removed? Because God is holy and we can't exist in his presence with sin, that has to be removed. And the whole new covenant was about coming into that presence, coming into that intimacy with God, as Steve said earlier. So he says, likewise, he took the cup after supper, verse 20, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is said for you. Now realize, if you haven't seen that before, they already had a cup. He took the cup and he gave it to them and said, share this among yourselves. And they had bread. But in that expression of the Passover, there was another cup that was set aside that was a prophetic picture of the new covenant to come. They never touched that. It's kind of like a prophetic drum set. No. It was a prophetic picture of a new covenant that would come. And when they had had the cup and the bread and Passover was complete, after supper he took the other cup. And they all went, uh-oh, you can't touch that. But he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So he was establishing something new. New covenant was instituted with blood because the covenant is accompanied by a sacrifice. But it's also cultural significance. There is a cultural significance to what Jesus did because what had happened in the culture by that time is that that cup also represented marriage. <laughs> Didn't get that one, huh? Come on, Siri, Siri, catch up. That cup represented marriage. In the, in the case that, what would happen is that when there were young couple that uh, were looking to get married, it was obviously arranged by parents, but the, the dads would work out all the dowry and everything, 
And then they would have this dinner, and it was the uh, future bridegroom and his dad and the future bride and her dad, and they would sit down and they'd have this dinner. And it was kind of like the, the engagement. And at the end of the dinner, the bridegroom would take a cup after dinner. It was the cup of the covenant. And he would extend that to the bride, saying, I choose you. Now, while the arrangement was made by the parents, at this point, they still had some say. And so if the, the future bride didn't take the cup, there was no engagement. But if she took it, with the first sip, they were in covenant. It started then. It doesn't, didn't start at the wedding like it does in our culture. In our culture, we get engaged, and then we have a wedding, and the covenant begins at the wedding. This began at the what we would call the engagement. That's when the covenant took place. They were in covenant. Can you picture that? I choose you. See, covenant means a new identity. It means she would take on his name. Covenant means a new purpose leaving the old behind and taking on a new focus and purpose. Then the future husband left to go prepare a place. See, he would go to wherever he lived. If he was wealthy enough, he'd build a house. If he wasn't, he'd add an extension on his parents' house. And when that was complete, he would come again and they would have this wedding feast. But the covenant didn't begin at the wedding feast. The covenant began with the first sip of the cup. See, the old covenant dealt with righteousness. The new covenant focuses on love. And that's what we need to understand When Jesus said the old covenant was complete and finished, the 669 commandments that were associated with the old covenant were finished. And then he institutes a new covenant and he says, I give you a new command. One. What's the new command? That you love one another as I've loved you. See, that the best of the old covenant when they asked him, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But when he said it's finished, that's done. Now he says, go beyond that. A new commandment I give you. Not that you love your neighbor as yourself, but that you love your neighbor as I've loved you. A laying down your life, which is what Steve was talking about in marriage. It's not about what I need. It's about laying down my life for others. And that's the requirement. That's only possible when we come into that intimate relationship with him. Otherwise, the best we can have is a self-centered love. Love people as I love myself. So what does that mean for us? Let me read it one more time from... Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.25, Paul.
Paul referring to this later, writing to the Corinthians, says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He goes on to say, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. He doesn't say who eats it or drinks it unworthily, but in an unworthy manner. See, too often we focus on the old and we're still thinking about righteousness and we become introspective. Have I sinned? I better make sure that, that I've confessed every sin or otherwise I'm taking this unworthily because I'm unworthy. Let me tell you, you are unworthy except for Christ. But he's dealt with that. Your worth is not because you confess every sin. Your worth is because you've turned to him. And so what's an unworthy manner? Forgetting the covenant. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We make it, do it in remembrance of an event. Do it in remembrance of his death. And just like the Passover, it is that, but it's more. It's not just an event, it's a person. In remembrance of me. I'm in, I'm engaged to the king of the universe. It's like an engagement ring. What happens when you get engaged, gals? You often get an engagement ring. And that reminds you. As if you need reminding. In case you forget. Huh? Guy should have the ring. Because he's the one who needs the reminding. They're going to talk about marriage next week. (laughs) See, it's a reminder. Every time we take it. That we're in in covenant with the king of the universe. It's a reminder we have a new identity. I'm not who the world says I am. I'm called a Christian, what's that mean? Christ one, Christ-like. That's my new identity, in Christ. I have a new purpose. I don't live for myself. I live for him. He's not some cosmic bellboy that follows me around to make what I do successful. It's a reminder, I have a new purpose. It's his purpose. And so as we take communion, I want you to see this morning the bridegroom sitting across the table and offering you the cup and saying, I choose you, I still choose you. And as you take it, a reminder, I'm in covenant with him. If you haven't been, if you got distracted, then you need to come back to that. If you've never entered that covenant, you can this morning. That's, this is what it means to be a Christian, to come into relationship with Jesus. 
we recognize that he's paid the penalty. He's paid the price for our sin. He removes that. It's not about condemnation. It's about coming into an intimate relationship with the king of the universe. And that's why marriage is so important because marriage is a prophetic picture of what's to come. The bride and the bridegroom. That's the culmination of this earth's history. A wedding feast. See, he offered the cup. We're, we're, we've entered into to covenant, and then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Have you read that? Yeah. And when I finish, I will come again and take to myself. This is all marriage. If you've not entered into that covenant, I'm going to give you an invitation to do that this morning. But for all of us, I want you to see as we take this, Jesus saying, I choose you. And so we have four places where we'll have uh, the communion, the, the bread and the juice set out. If you've never entered into that covenant with Jesus and you'd like to do that, I'm gonna ask you to come to this table over here because there's some folks who'd love to pray with you. In fact, Stephen Barr, will you go over there now? The reason we do it this way is so we're not passing things because of the whole supposed COVID thing that uh, is still there, that you're not, not reaching into a plate. Someone will actually, with a glove, hand you the, uh, the bread, and you can pick up the, uh, the cup itself. Would you stand with me? Do we have some people who are going to help us with the uh, communion? If you're one of those, would you go there? Would you bow your head? Just so you're not distracted by other people. I think an unworthy manner is to go through a religious exercise that has no meaning or to enter it flippantly and saying, ah, it's just juice and a piece of cracker. Jesus said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. His love the king of the universe extends the cup to you and says, I choose you. I choose you. And by taking that, you say, I choose you. He says, everything I am is yours. But that's not just for your endeavors. That's because you've taken on his identity and his purpose. And you say, everything I have is yours. I kind of think we get the better end of the deal. That's the love of God. So I'm going to invite you to just go to one of these places. 
grab the, uh, the cup cracker and just take it back to your seat, if you would. Uh, and then we'll, we'll share it together. If you've not done this before, you've never entered into covenant with Jesus, come over here to where Stephen and Barbara are in there. They'll uh, make sure that you understand what's happening. So go ahead, go, go grab that.